verses I'm going to share with you today. It took me 30 years to figure it out. And I read them, I prayed them, I did everything over them. And then one day the light went on, it wasn't all that long ago. So maybe the light will go on for you and save you some trips, save you some trouble. You get double for your trouble. Anyway, on Friday, I had to go in for what they call um, minor surgery. And what, what's minor surgery? It's something they do on somebody else. <laughs> anyway, when you walk down the hall, it says minor procedures. So then you go in there and they, and they, and they, they try to scare Well, they're not trying to scare you. They tell you worst case scenarios, you know. And so they're talking this and that and the other thing. And, and I'm listening. And Nancy said to me, you're so brave. I said, Nancy, it's got nothing to do with bravery. I'm not brave at all. But what it is is the peace of God in my heart, rule my heart and my mind. It's like right now I got 10 bucks in my wallet. I can't give you 20, but I can give you the 10 if you're fast enough to come get it. But, <laughs> but the thing about the peace of God is like this Dr. Nunn that was doing this thing, he, they, they were going to put a hose down my throat and a light look around and see everything down there, and then flush it out with water to see if there was anything wrong down there. So, so <laughs> no, but when you think about it, if you, were, if you didn't know God, it might be scary. But with me, he was telling me all these things, and I said, Dr. Nunn, and by the way, it takes 9 to 12 months to get to see this guy, and I saw him the next day. So this, you talk about favor. But anyway, I said, Dr. Nunn, what I'm really concerned about and the only thing I care about right now is how long will I have to wait to get a cup of coffee when you're done? <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't fake. It was how I really felt, like, get this over with so I can go get a cup of coffee. And, and only the peace of God can do that for you. Like, I'm going to live a long time, and so I don't care what they say or what they think they're going to do. I'm, I'm here, Tom 92. And so, and, and again, I'm going to renegotiate if I'm not drooling on myself by then. <laughs> but uh, the reason why I'm sharing this story with you is because, uh, well, they, after they lay you down and cover your eyes so you can't participate, they hook you up to intravenous and they pump fentanyl into your system. I knew nothing about fentanyl until later on that day. I was so stoned that here I am all this time later, and I'm still staggering around past apologies. But for 24, I got home in the afternoon, Friday afternoon, I'm laughing and laughing and carefree. And Nancy said, what are you laughing at? I can't help myself. It was just that kind of a day. But I realized it. what that reminded me of is how the devil operates. He'll make something so sweet and so pleasurable that you'll want to do it again. But I can promise you, if you ever tried anything like that, when you do it the second time, it won't work like it did the first time. Then you do it the third time, and after a while you're thinking, I better take two of those. After I better, I better take three of those. I better take four of those. And finally, finally they found you, find you did on the floor because that's the way he operates. So don't fall for his sin. Don't fall for things he's trying to hook you up in. He said in... A, he said in um, Psalm 37, 4, he said, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And we all know how to, we all want our heart's desire, but learning how to delight yourself in the Lord is a totally different thing. 
because it's kind of like it's kind of like what Paul told Timothy, or no, I think it was Peter. Yeah, it was Peter writing to to the church. He said, uh, he said, um, what did he say? <laughs> yeah, he said that. He really, really, no, he he said uh, he said you haven't seen him, but now you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But he said uh, he said. Be exceeding joyful. Somebody read it for me. Help, help, help me, Nancy. I need some help here today. I'm up here without a net. Oh no, there's a net back there. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's Peter chapter one, and he's talking about how you have to celebrate him, even though now you're going through manifold temptations, tests, and trials. But he says something particular there that I don't want to miss. Made more precious than no, gold. Back it up, back it up. Okay. We're in greatly rejoice, so now for a That's season. It. Stop okay. right there. Greatly rejoice. When? Now read the rest of it. Now, for a season, if it need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he's saying, celebrate when everything sucks. <laughs> because that's what faith does. See, the, the best expression of faith that you can ever have is gratitude and praise and worship. Praising them when you don't feel like it. Running around the church and acting like a fool. All of those kind of things. You might think they're silly, but they're not because he said, he said to do it exceedingly. When you don't feel like it. Hallelujah. When you don't feel like it, you ought to get pumped. So then, I don't know where we're going to go with this, but let's go over to um, let's go over to um, uh, Matthew chapter six, verse verse thirty three. Because in Matthew chapter six, he started preaching the parables after this, but in Matthew chapter six, he made the, what we need to do so plain that you can't miss it if you just do it. He said, he said in thirty three, he said, seek first. The kingdom of God and his way of doing things, his method of operation. And all of these things will be added unto you. We all want the last part of the verse. Oh, let all these things be added unto me. No, but are we seeking first the kingdom of God? And what does that look like? You have to figure that out. And when you figure it out, you go to Acts 20, verse 24. That's where Paul said, this is the verse I got the other day. Pastor Paul, I never, I, look, it just, I never saw it before. Look, you know, pardon my ignorance. I've been reading it for probably 40 years. He said, none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear unto myself. Well, I never thought about that before. What he was saying is, it's not about me. Therefore, none of these things, it's not, nothing is about, it's kind of like the donkey. In, uh, in uh, Matthew 21, verse 5. In Matthew 1, 21, verse 5, it says that the ass rode Jesus into the city. Right? But, what, but when you hear the story about the donkey, he went back to the barn and said, wow, did you see those guys bowing down to worship me? You know, he thought it was about him. And it's funny, but but when we 
When we started this church over 30 years ago, we pioneered something. We ushered in the word of faith into the, the, the metro, actually into the Maritimes. It was not being preached anywhere. And when we started preaching it, you know, we got, they didn't throw rocks at us, but it was the church world was so upset. I remember one girl that sang with us, she went home to her home church after she did her thing. And when she walked into her home church door, stood up to, to sing, they all got up and left. They didn't leave. They just walked out of the room for five or ten minutes to let you know, hey, if you go back down there again, we have nothing to do with you. And th that was the kind of response we pretty well got right across the, the Metroplex area for sure. We had people calling us, grab it and blab it. And what we were doing is preaching the truth. And, you know, the truth wasn't all that popular then. It's not all that popular now either because what the truth says is God's not mad at you. God loves you. What a message for people to get upset about. Well, let me tell you, they were. I won't get into stories, but we kind of pioneered that in here. And, um, and for years, it, it took years before some of the churches would even talk to us. And we were doing things like we knew to do. Like if we had, a, we had tithes and offerings, we send them out to send out checks to people that were talking ugly about us. <laughs> you know? And, and they'd cast a check and still talk ugly about us. <laughs> anyway, we did all that. And here we are today, over 30 years later. And the revelation that I got from the, from the donkey, the ass, is this. I, I never ever came back from any kind of meetings and thought that they were all bowing down to me. I knew who they were bowing down to. But when they threw rocks and hit me, I didn't like it. And so I made it about me. And what I was, manif what I was manifesting was not nothing more than human pride. If, if, I didn't, if, if it wasn't pride, why did I get offended? Because I read in Psalm 119, 165, that great peace of they that love your word, nothing shall offend them. Let me tell you, I was offended. I was offended a lot. And what, I, what it did was it affected my immune system. My spiritual immune system first, and then my physical immune system after that. And so the situations that I find myself in today are a result of that. Nothing to do with the devil. The devil didn't do it. Gary did it. And why am I, and why am I sharing it with you? So that you don't have to be that stupid. So you can recognize it's not about you. He, he said, I don't count my life dear unto myself. So if it's not about me, I can't take a bow when something good happens, like, like the donkey in the barn. Wow, did you see how they, how they like me? No, you're the vehicle. Like I, I told a guy the other day, I said, and Nancy didn't want me to share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. I said, I am the ass that Jesus rode into the city. At the end of the day, that's what I did. I carried him from, the, from where he was being taught before and brought him in here. And we had some of the best preachers that ever graced the planet over the years that we were here. And, and a lot of the people that heard it, oh, it was so rich, they're not here anymore. But, and so I took that person, and God said, 
you did what you were supposed to do. You carried my word into that city. What they did with it was up to them. And just and so you're faithful because you do what I ask you to do, not because of the results. No, you're not responsible for the results. You're responsible to obey. That's it. Yep. Hallelujah. Now, before we go to any other scripture, I want to share this with you too. Because it's the last days, and everybody's preaching the last days, the last days, the last days, and I know it's true. But I got to go back to the book of Exodus and find a guy named Joseph who interpreted the dream for Pharaoh. When he interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, he said there'll be seven years of plenty to prepare for seven years of famine. So the tribulation period is the famine period. Have we seen seven years of prosperity yet? And if we haven't, what if I'm wrong? I don't think I am. I think I'm right that, that some of those, because the thing that has been is the thing that'll be, and there's nothing new under the sun. That's what he told Nebuchadnezzar in Nebuchadnezzar chapter 2. Did we talk about that? Daniel chapter 2. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Well, no, Daniel chapter 2 is what we're reading as we read through the Bible today. So if you're not reading the Bible through today, you need to go read Daniel chapter 2. Because, because the Lord said, this is what's going to happen in the last days. Well, if this is the last days, then it's going to be a good time for us. And he talked about a statue that Nebuchadnezzar had. He said, you saw a statue of gold, silver, and bronze, and, and iron and clay and all that. And he talked about, and, he, and Nebuchadnezzar said, unless you can interpret the dream for me, not just tell me the dream. I'm not going to tell you the dream or the interpretation. You need to tell me everything. And if you don't tell me everything, I'm killing every astrologer and sorcerer in the country. And so they said, well, why we, nobody can interpret that dream. Daniel said, wait a minute, there is a God. And he'll interpret the dream for you. And I'm not going to get into all the steps that he said. But he said that in the last days, it would be part iron and part clay because it wouldn't stick together. And then it said that there'd be a, a stone cut without hands, the virgin birth. The, the, the stone that the builders rejected that became the cornerstone. He said there'll be a stone cut without hands that will smite that image on its feet and knock the, all the kingdoms of the world are going to come falling to the ground. Then he said that stone will become a great mountain and fill the earth. What's the, what's the heritage of the church? A great mountain filling the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <sighs> Am I making any sense to anybody out there? Yeah. Oh, good. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Well, let's go to let's go to where I, I wanted to go anyway. Let's go to um, let's turn the Bible upside right first. Let's go to Second uh, Samuel chapter four. Now, at this time, Saul and Jonathan were killed on Mount Bil uh, Mount Kilboa, Bilboa. No, that's Rocky Balboa. <laughs> oh, help me, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm off the fender all. I want you to know that. 
the news came back to David and them that Saul and Jonathan were dead on Mount Kilboa. So when, um, when Mephibosheth's nurse heard about it, she thought, well, every king that takes over the kingdom comes in and kills everybody that's in lineage from the last king. That's what they do. So she said, I've got to get you out of here to save your life. And so she put him on a, on a horse. Let's read verse 4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son. He was lame in both of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came from Saul and Jonathan noted Jezreel. Okay, that'll work. Jezreel's better than Gilboa. Okay. And the nurse took him up and fled, and it came to pass as she made haste to flee, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, by the way, means shameful thing. Right? And so when, when you encounter people who don't act the way that you think they should, there's a chance they've been dropped somewhere along the line. Something happened that was so devastating and overwhelmed them, and they had, couldn't get past it. And so, so what's God going to do with this? Well, you need to go to chapter 9. This is a powerful story because David didn't go to kill anybody. Matter of fact, he wept. He wept. He wept over Saul. He fasted and he prayed over Saul, his enemy, because he recognized the anointing. It wasn't about a person, a personality. It was about the anointing of God. So it says, when, and, and David said, verse, verse 1, Is there not any, anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness unto him for Jonathan's sake? And that word kindness is the word hesed. It's, it's covenant kindness. And what he's saying is, I had a covenant with Jonathan, and the covenant wasn't just for my generation. The covenant goes on from generation to generation. Just like you have a new covenant established on better promises. And so re read yourself into this story. You might have been a shameful thing. Mephibosheth, you might have been a shameful thing. But let's read on here. But anyway, the story was from back on Friday. They couldn't find anything. But they needed to check. So they checked me out. And, and I'm good. Amen. Hallelujah. And David said, is there any left of the house of Saul that I might show covenant kindness to him for Jonathan's sake? You can write in your margin for Jesus' sake. Same story, different time. The thing that has been is the thing that will be. There's nothing new under the sun. And there was at the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when he had called him unto David, the, the king said unto him, are you Ziba? And he said, yeah, I'm your servant. The king said, is there not anyone left of the house of Saul? Can you imagine doing this for your enemies? Is anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show covenant kindness to him? That's why covenant is, covenant is the strongest. The reason why this is the first and the second covenant is God wants to let you know, I'm not ever going to break either one. I fulfilled one with the other, but I'll never change my mind. If I said that I'll never leave you, never fail you, or never forsake you, I haven't changed my mind. If I, again, Psalm 61, here's Psalm 61, Isaiah 61, when Jesus stood up in Luke 4.18, he said, the Spirit of God's upon me, and he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim deliverance to the captives, recover sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty the bruised and to preach the acceptable year, the Lord of the year, Jubilee, and then he closed the book. He left out the part about the wrath of God because the wrath of God's not coming on you or me. It's coming after the church is gone. So hang on to that too. Put that away in your little box somewhere. And the king said unto him, and, and, and Zeba said, yes, Jonathan has a son and he's lame in both of his feet. But it wasn't his fault. The fact that you couldn't walk this thing by yourself, it wasn't your fault. I wanted to be born in Hawaii. My parents had me born in Halifax. They didn't consult with me first. What I mean is I couldn't help where I was born. I couldn't help where I was born, and neither could you. You couldn't help the fact that you were born in sin. You know, that's who, that's who you were, but that's not who you are now. The king said unto him, where is he? He's hiding. He's so unaware of his covenant with God that he's hiding and running for his life. How many of you ever hid from God because you figured if he ever caught up with you, he'd kill you? No, no, I always knew there was a God, but I was afraid to go to church, I'll tell you right now. I said, if I ever go to church, I'm done. None of you ever felt like that. Okay. The king said, where is he? And Zeba said unto the king, he's in the house of Makar. Makar is a crooked salesman, and he's in Lodabar. Now, this is important because, because when you hear it taught, you need to know that Lodabar, low is no, and Debar or Devar is word. Like Deuteronomy, Devarim is the second given of the word. Well, here he was in a place where he had no word. He had no light. He had no promise. When you get a hold of a promise, it'll change your life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into a fiery furnace, but they read Isaiah 43 before they went. We'll walk through the fire and not be burned, and the flame will not kindle upon us. So they had a word to stand on when they went in there. And so when they went in there, they released the peace that was in them, and they couldn't be destroyed. How about, how about Daniel in Kings chapter 6, when they threw Daniel into, in chapter 6 into the lion's den? Why didn't lions eat him? Because they couldn't touch the peace that was in his heart. They couldn't. <laughs> it's up. No, but see, that's why he said, my kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And those things you have to grab onto. You have to grab onto his peace. And the only way you can have peace with him is you have to trust him. How do I get to trust him? You get to know him. How do I get to know him? It's in the book. In a place of no debar, no, debar, no word, no devour, no promise, no light, the king sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker. Can you imagine that day? He's been hiding for all these years, and now the king's chariots are pulling up out front. I'm dead meat. Now when Mephibosheth saw the when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence and said, Mephibosheth, David said, Mephibosheth, he said, behold your servant. David said unto him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, fear not. Don't be afraid, fear not. You've been living in shame. You've been living in guilt. Guilt says you've failed, but shame says I'm a failure. There's a big difference. So he felt like a failure. He couldn't walk. He was lame in both of his feet. David said, fear not, for I will surely show thee 
hesed, covenant kindness for Jesus' sake in our case. And I will restore. Read Joel 2.25 through to the end and get excited about it sometime. I restore all the land that you're, you're, of Saul, your father, and you'll eat bread at my table continually. That prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. That restores my soul. Cause me to lay down in green pastures, pastures of plenty. Leave me beside still waters. This is God. And you'll eat bread at my table continually. Hallelujah. He said, what is your servant that you pay any attention to such a dead dog as me? Look at this. The king called, David ignored his voice. You call yourself a dead dog? You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You'll never be any more righteous than you are right now. It doesn't matter. You can act more holy or act more righteous, but the righteousness from God is a gift. Herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. Righteousness comes by a revelation. A revelation that he, God, made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we'd be made the righteousness of God in him. You're right with God. Turn to somebody and say, you're all right. Then the king called Ziba. Well, now when I read this, I think about Hebrews 1.14. Angels were sent to minister unto the heirs of salvation. King called Ziba, saw a servant, and said unto him, I've given unto, unto your master's son everything that pertains, everything, everything. The wealth of the wicked is laid up in store for the just. Everything that's been stolen out of the church since Solomon's time belongs to you. So, yeah, yeah, I know these are the last days. I'm just telling you, there's got to be seven years of plenty before there's seven years of famine. If you can show me somewhere that contradicts that, okay, but I haven't found it myself yet. Then the king calls even and he said, everything that pertained to Saul and all of his house is going back to him. Therefore, you and your sons, your servants, shall till the land for him. Come on. <laughs> you shall bring in the fruits for him, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, my master, your master's son, shall eat always at my table. So then Ziba went out with his 15 sons and 20 servants and began to work for Mephibosheth. Right? Uh-huh. Verse 13. This is the part I really like. He said, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem and did he continue at the king's table? but he was still lame in both of his feet. What does that mean? You can't walk this by yourself. You can depend on God. How about Titus chapter 3? Is this helping somebody? Where's Titus? Somewhere behind Timothy. Yeah. Okay, found him. Verse 4. But after the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, was shown toward man, or appeared, it was not by works of righteousness which we have done. So in other words, you can't earn this. This, you know, religion will offer a lesson, but Jesus offers life. Religion will tell you how to do things, but Jesus will show you how to let him do it through you, right? So he said, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. 
but according to his what? His hesed, his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The word, uh, the word regeneration is the word pelagenesia, and it's where you get the word genesis. It's like um, I've taken you back to a pristine state. I've created a radical change in you. Now all you need to do is renew your mind to it, to realize that I've taken you back, regenerated you, gave you a fresh start, and a renewing in the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> and being shed upon us scantily, verse 6, Huh? Shed upon us how? Abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified how? See, I don't know how, but I know who. Justified by his grace, grace that we should be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Wow, are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. That's what the word says. Okay, one more verse. Uh just drop down to Philemon, verse 6. To King James, I like it the best. It says, the communication of your faith may become effective. How? How am I going to get my faith working? By acknowledging what? Every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. That means you can't go to him and say, oh God, blah, 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 and talk all that negative trash and think you're praying. Prayer is, prayer is this. Prayer is praise and worship and declaring who you are in Christ. That's it. That's it. What he did for you in Christ. So he says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He said the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ. Another translation says it this way, that the fellowship, partnership, and intimacy of your faith would step on stage, active, operative, by revealed knowledge of every good revealed knowledge of every good thing that is in you, in the anointed one and his anointing. Mm-hmm. How about that? So I'm not sin conscious, I'm God conscious. I'm not going to be, I am a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, to show forth the praises of him that has called us. Out of the darkness and into his glorious life. That's the message we started preaching 30 years ago. It hasn't changed. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. His kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, and it's yours. And you didn't have to earn it. It's a free gift. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.